Hi, and welcome to today's meeting of Book Hoarders Anonymous. Let's all begin by introducing ourselves. Hi, I'm Shannon, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Shannon. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I'm a book hoarder. Hi, Hi Aaron. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Book Hoarders Anonymous. This is Aaron. This is Shannon. And we are bringing you this fantastic episode of July 2013. Um, yay, July already. Uh, and incidentally, it is episode 14 already. I, I can't believe that we've done 14 of these. <laughs> I know. Crazy, isn't it? I didn't even know if it would last a year. No, it has, and here we are. <laughs> Yay. Um, it's lasted a year and a half, and I, and I thought to myself that last month when we did it, um, it was pretty close to the time when you had actually visited a year ago. Oh, yeah, it was. And uh-huh. I thought, wow, a year ago already, she visited me, and we did it in Edgar Studios when all the mess that we had, Rodney had to shepherd her around, um, and it's still just as disorganized and chaotic in here, uh, but um, it's amazing how time does do the flying thing. It, it sure does. I was thinking about that myself. Like, life has changed for me a lot in, the, in this past year. So. Yeah, it really has. So, um, that's just wonderful. You've gotten a job and moved and done all kinds of stuff. Well, I'm about to move into a different apartment, actually. Oh, did you get the... that? Good. Good for you. Not that that, like, really has any relevance to the podcast, but it's closer to work, so... I'll have a, only a 45-minute commute um, there and back as opposed to a two-hour commute <laughs> there and back. That's much so. better. Well, you know, the only plus side I can see to a commute to bring this back to the whole book thing is that you can get a lot of reading done on a two-hour you, commute. You sure can. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going on, back when I had an internship in, um, well, it was like an hour and a half from where I lived, and I had to take two buses, and it was like totally insane. Uh, and it was an hour and 45 minutes. And I didn't have any of our digital reading devices that we all hold so dear. And uh, even my cassette recorder was just a little bit too bulky to carry with me. It was so boring. Now, oh if, I, yeah. if I had my Victor Reader or my iPhone or my Plex Talk or whatever I would have chosen to take, um, I probably still would have found the commute boring. I, You know, get it, doing it five days a week can be really draining. So I understand how that's... That's a really rough, rough thing. So good for you. Um, moving on to our email, we have a new listener whose name, <laughs> whose pronunciation is up for debate. Um, <laughs> Gina or Jenna or Jana. Thank you so much for listening to Book Hoarders. Uh, she says that she is from Texas and she loves the podcast and looks forward to all of our new episodes and all of our new content that we, any new content we will put up. Um, her pen name is Rachel Whitley. I have not actually checked her out, but she is on Goodreads as well. She also likes that we blend news about book accessibility into the podcast, and um, it's fantastic. So thank you for all that glowing praise. We really appreciate it. Uh, and sci-fi and horror are totally awesome. I'm glad that there, other women feel the same things. way. There are things, yeah. Um, there are also really bad sci-fi and horror. Um, and we have some yes. sort of sad sci-fi news that we'll get to later on in the news. Um, 
but um, we wanted to get that email out there. So first off, with regard to news, uh, Paula Dean and, um, was going to have this new cookbook coming out. But uh, Random House has decided not to publish it. And I think that's it's really interesting because I, I um, you know, with the, the controversy with Paula Dean apparently being a giant racist, um, like, it, it was interesting to me that I saw the news that they were going to pull it, but I also saw that that book had, had gotten, like, because of all the controversy, it had gotten oh. an amazing amount of pre-orders. Absolutely, which, and and they were amazing. It just goes to show that that like no publicity is bad publicity, I suppose. Exactly, and there's no word yet as to you know how they're going to deal with customer refunds because the book was ordered what five hundred thousand pre-orders or something. Um, and I I did notice uh, that um, some interesting things also happened. She you know tried to apologize for the flow for whatever she said. And uh, her frantic efforts, according to the New York Times, to staunch the flow of negative opinion, they misspelled staunch, by the way, uh, by defending herself on the Today Show uh, and posting apologetic videos on YouTube, have rallied many of her admirers. They have threatened boycotts of Walmart, uh, one of her sponsors, created a We Support Paula Dean Facebook page. Uh, that has well over half a million likes, and started a campaign to flood the Food Network offices with empty butter wrappers, a symbol of Miss Dean's indulgent cooking style. <laughs> I, I kind of like the thing with the, the empty. That, yeah. that cleans that up. <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of like the thing with the empty butter wrappers. That's, <laughs> that's kind of funny. Uh, you know, but I think she will still be okay. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I gather that she's invested a lot of her money. You know, I'm sure she's in, I mean, I'm sure she's in, made some good investments. Uh, it'll be interesting to see whether she can pick herself back up after this. Uh, you know, Martha Stewart has kind of picked herself back up. She was in prison, for goodness sake. Um, you know, uh, Tiger Woods, who's admittedly, you know, not into food and books, but, you know, same kind of deal. Lots of sponsorship involved and everything uh, with sports has, has made moves to pick himself back up and kind of reinvent himself. So we'll see whether, you know, Paula Dean can can do that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think that she'll be fine in the long run. I like I that's like the, the accusations are pretty horrible. Yeah. But I think that, you know, like. Like you said, if Martha Stewart can have a comeback and <laughs> yeah. it looks like she's like she's getting one, then mm-hmm. yeah, there's, there's hope for Paula. And I, I think so too. And and I, you know, when Martha Stewart, when that all happened to her, I was like, oh my gosh, how, you know, such such dishonesty. You know, can she make a comeback from that and and serving time in prison? And she has. And it, it'll just be interesting. I don't want to point fingers, but there's a tendency for certain people to hold certain things over people's heads. And when it comes to racism, it seems like that happens a lot um, on both sides of the issue. So we'll see if, you know, sometimes racism or discrimination stays with a person longer than other things. So, um, you know, we'll just have to see what happens. But I'm sure she'll be. I'm sure she'll be all right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of business deals and business decisions, Random House and Penguin have merged. I was about to call it Penguin House and Random, but that wasn't right. Um, 
they have merged this month. Um, yes, I remember when this came, when, the, when like, I think it was last year that they were having talks about that. And I mostly remember that because people were talking about where they get to change the name to Random Penguin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I think temporarily <laughs> I it's, awesome. yeah, I think temporarily it's Penguin Random House. Um, which that is kind of unwieldy, but yeah, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, you know, they, they still want to retain their identity somewhat. Um, the, let's see the, um, random house would control 53% of the company and penguin will control 47%. That was in October when they announced that. And since then, the merger sailed through uh, approvals all over the place, United States, Europe, as well as in China, Canada, and other countries. So um, the combined companies will control more than 25% of the book business with more than 10,000 employees, 250 independent publishing uh, – I'm sorry, 250 – publishing imprints and about 3.9 billion in annual revenues. And what I want to know from the from an accessibility standpoint is I know that Random House was one of the publishers that was working with Bookshare. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this merger means that we'll see the penguin books on there as well. Uh I don't know, but probably and and hopefully. And I do know that that Penguin, I believe um is one of the companies that works with Bard to get audiobooks up. Uh, on on Bard, so I hope yeah. that some of the Random House audio will come up there too, as a result. So Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and John Adams, all that. Uh, there is a new website coming out called Founders Online, and um, you're going to get to read uh, words of the founders in digital form. Uh, there are going to be more than uh, it's a collaboration between the National Archives and the University of Virginia Press. Uh, 120,000 documents included in the 242 printed volumes of the papers of Washington, Adams, Jefferson, James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and Benjamin Franklin uh, presented to the public uh, in. Uh, easily searchable, digitized form for the first time. I have not actually checked it out, uh, but it's Founders Online. Of course, we'll put the link to it in the uh, show notes so that we can all dip into this um, combined treasury, if you will, of historical documents. That's very exciting. Yeah, I think so too. And I know that they've been working on this project for a long time, several years anyway. So it's nice to see that it's getting up off the ground finally. Um, that's, that's just wonderful. Uh, now we are going to talk about a little death, actually two deaths. The rest of the news is kind of depressing. Uh, Ian Banks, I-A-I-N Banks, uh, dies at the age of 59. He was the author of 30 or so crime and science fiction novels. Um, I've never read any of his books. They're kind of dark and violent for me. Uh, was he the one that wrote the culture books, or am yes. I thinking of another Ian? Yes, okay. he's the one who's written the culture books. And this is basically um, basically this uh, these religious zealot aliens are trying to control the uh, atheist utopian humans, 
I think, <laughs> sort of like. And, and it's, it's oh, kind of okay. like, I mean, you know, it's one of those things like, you know, it sort of reminds me of Philip Pullman. If I want to be preached at, um, you know, he comes off a little bit preachy, I think. Um, and so I, I think I tried to read the first one and I didn't get very far in it. And I'm not exactly sure what to turn me off. I don't know uh, if it was all the politics because his books are very political. Uh, I mean, you know, talking about political maneuvering and things like that, um, or if it's sort of the like religious or anti-religious uh, preaching that goes on. But um, that said, uh, he has written over 30 books and uh, in, in crime and science fiction genres and uh, very prolific. And he died at the age of 59 of gallbladder cancer. Mm, that's very sad. Yeah, I think so too. And the other author who died, Richard Matheson, died at the age of 87. And I just finished reading a Richard, Richard Matheson book that I thought was fabulous. I'd never read any of his books before. And so when we get to what I read, we'll talk about it in a minute. But um, have you read any of his books before? I, I have not. I, um, the only thing that, may, that comes to mind, I know he's written a ton of things, is that, but the only thing that comes to mind is, you know, the recent success of I Am Legend, which I think he wrote. Mm-hmm. And now... We'll associate that with Will Smith forever, but yeah, you know. <laughs> but yeah, but but he did uh, write a lot of episodes for the Twilight Zone, and he also wrote the book. Uh, one of his first books was called The Shrinking Man, which the movie was called The Incredible Shrinking Man, which he also wrote the screenplay for, and and that was the book I read. Oh, this this takes me so nicely into my reads for the month. Oh my gosh, the segue is just incredible. <gasps> Yay! Um, it's beautiful. Yay! Beautiful. Anyway, um, yeah, so that was one of the books I read. And actually, I read that book as part of another book. It was um, a, a collection released uh, on Bard recently, which was called American Science Fiction, uh, edited um, by um, Harry or John Wolfe. Some, some guy Wolfe. I forget his first name. Oh, anyway, Gary Wolf. Yeah, who, Gary Wolf. Which is which I thought was a funny choice because Gary Wolf, Gary um, Wolf. was was famous for having written um uh what was the book called? I think the book was actually called um Who Censored Roger Rabbit, which became the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Who framed Roger Rabbit? That's funny. I that is all I know about I, Gary Wolf. I haven't read it. I think that's his <laughs> name. My career, anyway, so I think it's funny that. Yeah, he... I, I think that's his name. I'll, I'll put it in. In of course, I'll put it in the um, show notes, so we'll actually have the right name. But um, it was part of that collection, and there were some really great books in there. But The Shrinking Man was was probably uh, one of my favorites, and I can certainly see where authors like Michael Crichton, you know, who wrote the book Micro where they got their inspiration. Um, and micro is, of course, these people are in, um, these people are, are graduate students and they go to Hawaii to participate in this company's experiment and this company doesn't like the stuff that they're learning about it and so they shrink them down to like teeny, 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 tiny little people and they have to survive to get, you know, regrown. And oh, man. Uh, it was really good. But but I can certainly see where you know people got their inspiration for that for the books that they wrote and and um, it was it was very it was very good it was about this guy who basically something got was wrong with him and he shrunk down to nothing and what his experience was like and um, 
It was very interesting because it showed not only how he had to relate to other people and how that was really impacted, but also, you know, how he had to, you know, when he got too small, you they couldn't, no one could hear him talk anymore. So he had to use like a little microphone to try and communicate. Um, <laughs> and the book begins with him trapped in the basement when he's, you know, only like an inch or two tall. And so how he has to survive in the basement and his goal, of course, is to try and get out of the basement and how he succeeds in doing that. So, and, you know, how the world appears to him when he's small as opposed to when he's, you know, like really big. Um, and so that was, it was a really, really good book. And then let's see, what else did I read? Um, I read another book that um, I thought was really excellent. And I have been actually learn- looking to read this book for a while. Um, there, there's a book called The Mists of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley, and she wrote that in the mid-80s, and it was kind of like The Legend of King Arthur, but told from the point of view of all the women who were involved, like Morgan Le Fay and Guinevere and um, others. And it was, it's one of my favorite books of all time, and she's written like a prequel. Uh, it doesn't have any of the characters in it. Uh, but it's the same struggle, you know, between the Romans and, well, it's a struggle between the Romans and the, the native people who live in, um, you know, in the British Isles. And that was wonderful. And of course, um, I read the NLS version and it was narrated by Jill Ferris, which gave it continuity because the Miss of Avalon is also done by her as well. And although I don't agree with some of the pronunciations that she gives people's names, she's such a gifted narrator that that kind of just, you know... I kind of just sail over that part and move right along, um, and it was wonderful. Um, and I'm glad that I finally read it. I've been putting off reading it, but then when it came out on Bard, I just decided to grab it and and um, take to it. Let's see. Oh, um, and then I was thinking of reading... Um, oh, and, and this book, because of the title, I just had to read it. Uh, so I'd been thinking about reading this book as well for a while, and one day when I was exercising, I wanted to look for something, and it just popped up on my Victor Reader stream, and I started reading it, and I was laughing so hard I almost fell off the treadmill. Uh, <laughs> it's called My Life as a White Trash Zombie by Diana Rowland. And it's I a, love that title. Oh, it's great. And and the other, there are two other books in the same series that have been released uh, even white trash zombies get the blues and the white trash zombie apocalypse. Um, <laughs> and they're all great. And and they're about this girl who basically she was what the title says she was. She was, you know, like a drug user, a high school dropout from way down in deep south Louisiana, you know, redneck. Angel Crawford, you can't get much more redneck of a name than that. Um, and uh, she was turned into a zombie and how that turned her life around and made her a better person, even though she's a zombie and has to eat brains. So, um, you know, basically, you know, you think of zombies as mindless beings frantically searching for humans to kill. And this is a completely different picture of a you know, very sort of like she's basically the same person she was, except for the fact that she has this additional appetite now that she has to satisfy. Uh, and it's sort of like, you know, other books that, that look at vampires in a sympathetic light. Now we've got the same thing with, with zombies. Um, and so it was fun. And it was funny. I mean, it's very humorous and lighthearted and, and uh, really, really amusing. Um, one, uh, another book that was 
much more serious, but I wanted to try to try my hand at reading some Amish fiction because I have some friends who enjoy it, and I thought maybe I will too. Um, so I saw this book, and it was about a woman who got into an accident. I guess it's part of a series, so the accident actually happened in a book I didn't read. Uh, but I started, I think this is the second book in the series, um, but I don't feel like I missed anything. Uh, the book was called A Cousin's Challenge by Wanda Brunstetter, uh, and it was a, a book about uh, this woman who had gone, uh, she had gotten in an accident and she'd lost her hearing because of the accident. And she had to learn sign language and things. And so she had gone to, to Philadelphia from her Amish community in Indiana, which, yes, there are Amish communities up there. Um, and it's interesting because the book mentioned a lot of places that I know of from growing up there. Um, and it was why I chose it. Uh, so anyway, but she comes back to her community uh, when this book starts. And it's about her basically her uh, struggle to fit in. You know, she has to teach all of her family and friends sign language so that she can communicate with them. Because although she can read, but, you know, lips, she has a hard time sometimes. So um, she does that. And then she's got, you know, a couple kids move in and she she gets a teaching job teaching them um, a couple of, of, of deaf children. So it was very, uh, it was a very good book. And, you know, soft and fluffy if you want a, a nice... Sort of comforting read. Uh, you know, you don't want to read about zombies or darkness or horror all the time. It was a, it was a nice, it was a, it was a good thing to check out. And then the last one I want to mention. Uh, no, wait, the second to the last one. Um, Black Like Me. It was my nonfiction read for the month by John Howard Griffin. And this was fascinating. This is a guy who, um, back in the late fifties, decided to darken his skin. He's a white white man, uh, famous journalist as well. He decided to darken his skin with medication and exposure to ultraviolet light and all kinds of other things and go out and experience segregation in the South. And it was fascinating and horrifying at the same time. It, it gave a very interesting picture about what life, you know, about his experience as a black man. And he shaved off all of his hair because, of course, he had straight hair. Mm-hmm. He had dark hair and dark eyes, fortunately, so he didn't have to wear contacts. But he had to shave off all of his hair because he didn't have any curl. I mean, you know, he pretty much thought of everything. Um, and it was even it was even really funny. Uh, he had a, a you know black friend, and he was telling him what he was doing. And he well he he didn't tell him about his project until the guy didn't recognize him. And he said, "Don't you recognize me? I'm you know because he had he had gone up to him as a white man first. And then came up to him as a black man, and the guy completely did not recognize him. Um, and it was all because of his skin color, and, and shaving off his hair had made a big difference, too. And the guy pointed out, well, you know, you need to shave the backs of your hands, because the hair on the backs of your hands isn't right. I mean, you know, so he got all kinds of details. You know, he went and got pretty detailed with it, and it was very, very interesting and enlightening. Um, I don't know, of course, that his experiences would be the same if he did it today, because, you know... We are 50, 60 years in the future from then. Uh, but it was a very interesting uh, read, especially uh, for historical purposes, to uh, get an idea about li- what life would have been like. And lastly, the book I wanted to talk about that was a big soap opera that I mentioned to you before the podcast started. Um, this one was a book that... Um, was also written about 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 
somewhat relevant to today, but I mean, the author just drags things out entirely too long. It's called The Women's Room by Marilyn French, and it's about women in the 70s who are going back to school. Um, you go back back to graduate school and trying to get careers. Uh, one woman in particular who's doing it after being married and having children and, and the problems she faces while doing this. And it just, it just, it was way too long, you know? It, 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 it went through her whole life and took you, you know, it starts out with her at her first day of school and hiding in the, in the ladies' room because she's scared to go out and, you know, be in classes and everything with everybody. And then it says, let's, let's look at how she came to this point. And half the book, which is about 10 hours worth, is getting you to her just starting school. So by the time you get 10 hours into the book, you're like, oh, now we're to the present? Thank goodness. Oh, God, there's 10 hours more to go. So it's just, it, it was a little bit overblown. It was like a gigantic soap opera. You know, it was like her, her life in the suburbs in the 50s and 60s was a huge soap opera. And then she gets to college in the late 60s, early 70s, and that's a huge soap opera. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, did this stuff really happen? Um, it was interesting. The, the cultural mores were just so different. Uh, you know, you, you would see people, you know, everybody smoked cigarettes. Everybody drank alcohol, you know, during the daytime. Uh, and, and now we just don't, we don't see that as much. And it was just very interesting to, to read all about that. But, but otherwise, I mean, I think the book got really long and overblown. I think it was a really famous book when it came out. Uh, but the author goes into, you know, her radical feminist philosophy. And hmm, I tend to get impatient with it. But, you know, I didn't live during that time. Maybe my experiences would have been different and maybe I would have had similar views if I had lived during that time and been, you know, a grown person. I don't know. But uh, it was, um, I'm glad that I read it and I did finish it. What have you been up to with reading? Okay, well, I've read a lot of really good things. Um, I don't remember. Did I I talk about, um, let's see. I right now I'm I'm reading 1776 because we're discussing it for a book club, um, and I actually have to get it read by Tuesday, and I don't know that, that that's going to happen. But <laughs> I can dream. Good luck. I, I have seven hours left. It might. Um, <laughs> and it, it's you know talking about the founding fathers. It was you know it's an interesting nonfiction historical account of the year 1776 and what was going nice. on during the revolutionary. Or, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, putting putting a human face on, on a lot of the battles. So that's interesting. Um, but it's also not really a book I would have picked out on my own. <laughs> so right. I'm finding it kind of a slog, like very easily put downable. Um, let's see. Also, I read... Um, did I talk about did I talk about my experience reading Rose Matter on the last podcast? No, you did not. And I was going to ask you if you had read that. Well, I, I it must have been between last podcast and this one that I finished it. I don't know, um, but I, yeah, I read I read Rose Matter by Stephen King, um, and it was um, I don't know. I like <laughs> I I liked it because I I. Stephen King is one of my favorite authors, but it was definitely not one of his better <laughs> achievements. Yeah. And it made me kind of sad because, like, I have some, like, I, you know, my internship was 
was last year involved working with with um, domestic violence survivors. So I was really interested in what he was going to do with that. And then like, and I and I thought that he got that part of it right. Like the, um, like I really liked what he did with the with the other survivors that 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 Rose runs across and I, I liked liked his portrayal of the the shelter that she goes to um it was so so like at least that part didn't didn't offend me because of reality <laughs> yeah but but it was such a weird book like you know and then all of a sudden it becomes this like a fairy tale thing and it was just it was weird <laughs> yeah the whole like like mask turning into a bull thing that was weird um but i I don't know. I I liked the the. I, I think I'm kind of with you. I liked the way that he dealt with the issue of domestic violence and the way people would respond to it and and survive through it. I think he did a very sensitive job with that. But the rest of the story, <laughs> it was just weird. Yeah. Um. Let's see what else. And then after that, I kind of got into a bit of a um, a historical romance glom, which I'm. Ooh. I'm seeing my way out of. I read a couple of really awesome books. Um, one was His at Night by Sherry Thomas, um, which unfortunately I read on Bard and, and well, I started to read it on Bard and, and, um, and I'm sure that Annie Waters is a wonderful human being. And if you're listening to the podcast, Annie, know that, that I'm sure you do fabulous work, but um, <laughs> yeah. That book was not served very well with her as a narrator. Um, it was just bad. Yeah. Um, but the thing was that the book, it's like the prose itself was so awesome. And, and um, like, I thought I, I found I had started to read the book like on, on my phone without having had the like the, you know, the audio yet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know, I'll give it a try and then download the book when I get home. And, and then um, I did that. And, and I was already very invested in the story by the time I got to the audio. And then, oh, good. The, like, the narration turned out to be so bad. I was like, I can't, can't <laughs> do it with it on, it on, on my board. phone. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I don't know, I find it odd that they have her reading romances because it seems like she would be such a much better reader of nonfiction because yeah. of her voice but yet they have her reading more romances i mean they do it across the board i mean katherine coulter Nora roberts they have her reading them all and i'm just kind of like she is not a ro- i mean that's just not something that her voice is good for but yet they have her doing it so you know it's it's partially the narrator and partially you know the 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 people who assign books sometimes i don't know why they assign the books they assign um, and then they, um, and then so so I finished that, and then I I moved to A Lady Awakened, which by Celia Grant, which I bought on Audible, and then it it like a, the day after I finished it, it, it of came course. up on board. Of read course, by, read by Teresa Conkin, and I'm reading a book that she narrates right now, um, and and it again, it's one of those things that 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 I feel like the book is really like. The narration is not doing her any favors, and and so like the A Lady Awakened was was really fabulous. Um, and Susan Erickson read it, and Susan Erickson I know is is as American as Annie Waters and Teresa Conkin, mm-hmm. but somebody like has obviously coached her on how to do a convincing British accent, and so um, like it was a much more pleasant reading experience for me because oh, you know both of those books are set in in 
Regency England, and they both do interesting things with the romance genre. Like the um, his at night, the whole premise is that um, the the hero is a secret agent for the government. So, but he um, you know has to go to places where and be unnoticed and and are not taken seriously, and so he plays the role of, of an idiot, <laughs> and and then he ends up you know in this it, like married to the the heroine and and you know like obviously thing and the heroine herself is kind of a scheming manipulative person so they they really deserve each other <laughs> and and it was great like just watching her figure it out that like you know oh this is like this guy is he's such an actor right um and and you know realizing that they that the like the that they really complemented each other mm-hmm. um and so, and it was it it that was it, that was the book that got me on this historical romance kick. And then, A Lady Awakened, um, it kind of had an interesting premise too. Of the like, um, the heroine is recently widowed, and she doesn't want her the place where she's living to fall into the hands of of her husband's brother because he he was like you know like he sexually assaulted like the servants and so she decides that she's going to um get herself pregnant and pass it pass the kid off as as the former um as her husband's and so she gets this guy who is the like a you know the typical rake or whatever to to agree to to sleep with her for the month until this pregnancy happens and um but the thing I liked about it was that she's like you know like, I don't want you to seduce me. I just, you know, I want to make a baby. <laughs> so we're basically going to sit here and endure this act for 15 minutes or however long it takes, you know. <laughs> and she's, like, she's very determinedly not interested in in letting him, like, like she, she just her. kind of thinks he's, 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 a silly, he's silly and worthless and, and you know, like... <laughs> So, so the, the the really cool thing about the book is that that it's only after they find um, common ground and they start to talk and become become interested in 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 the, the welfare of the tenants on both of their lands actually that they um, really like then then the sex becomes like more more erotic and and less about you know like this thing they have to get they have to go through. And I thought it was a really interesting way to write a romance novel because normally it would have been that she would have been like this this prudish woman who had you know despite being married never known pleasure or whatever right. you know and he would have, like right. with one touch mm-hmm. whatever but um, and that didn't happen and that's good and then the last historical romance novel that I that I I finished I read on Kindle and it was called Untamed and. Um, the author is Anna Cowan, and it was um, that one had another like the interesting thing she did with that one was that that um, her like after the scandal erupts, the 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 Duke who is the hero of the of the book um, needs to hide for a while, and so mm-hmm. he convinces the, the the heroine to help him and to hide. He disguises himself as a woman. And, you know, goes out into the country with her. So, you know, it was a really, um, I mean, I, I was kind of sold on cross-dressing dukes, you know. Like, right, <laughs> sure. Kind of got me there. But it was, 
and it wasn't it wasn't as good as the other two. I thought that that it was a little bit um, like. It, like, it started out super awesome, and I was very invested in the characters, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the, totally the kind of book, that the kind of historical romance that was obviously written for me. And then, like, you know, the climax, spoiler alert, turns out to be, like, a card game that, that, that one of the characters has to win. And, and at that point, I was like, are you kidding me really? right now? Like, <laughs> these are the stakes that we're playing for. <laughs> so yeah. it kind of lost me, and... And now I'm reading um, another historical called Never Seduce a Scot. Um, and I'm not sure why I picked it because <laughs> it's not really. Well, I think I think I like I picked it because um, the premise is that the heroine is deaf and, you know, yet again is like not is hiding that fact from the world and has to be like, you know, entered into this arranged marriage. And of course, I'm sure that the hero is going to figure it out instantly and, you know. So I pretty much know exactly what's going to happen, and but but I I saw it described as as like sudsy fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> and sudsy. I like sudsy fun, sudsy fun. <laughs> so so yeah, that's pretty much what I've been reading: a lot of historical romance and and Stephen King. <laughs> cool, wonderful. Uh, and I guess that brings us now to the read of the month, the homework for this month, which was The Silver Linings Playbook by Matthew Quick. Speaking of sudsy fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know how this was very sudsy, but I mean, it was, I guess it was a little sudsy. It was fun. It was fun, though. It was. Um, I, I I really did enjoy this book. I, I, I started reading it and I was like, What? Huh? I, I don't know. For some reason, it just it took me a little while to get into it because this guy is, you know, he's been in a mental institution in this like timeless void, you know, medicated memory is shot because of something that happened to him. We don't know what it is when the book starts. Uh, and so the author just does a really good job of like throwing you into his life. And basically, he's wondering, I'm going, what? Huh? What's going on? I don't really get this. I want everything to be like it was, but it's not. And so as, as I was reading it, I was having the same sort of experience. Like, I know that there's stuff that happened before the book starts that made him the way he is and made him have to go into the mental institution. And I want to know what it is. But after a while, knowing what it is didn't seem to me to be very important. It seemed like it was kind of like, well, it'll happen when it happens, because I got so interested in his life now, because he was trying to, you know, live in the present and at the same time, remember what had gone on in his past, which he does eventually figure out. But I thought the author did a very, uh, very good and sensitive job of, you know, weaving in what it would have been like for someone who was in that position. I was a little afraid going into this book that that um, the portrayal of of like men of of people with mental health issues was going to be kind of a caricature. And I was really glad it wasn't that way, but it very easily could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very, um, I, I, I thought that it, like, and I don't know how accurate it was, but I felt like the author did a really good job of making me feel like that was Pat's experience. And, you know, like I, after a while, I, I, you know, I got to understand him, and um, I never felt like I was laughing at him, um, which was the other thing that, that 
had the potential to make me uncomfortable. I wasn't, yeah. you know, I didn't didn't really want to laugh at, <laughs> you know, like right. I didn't either. The crazy man. Um, and uh, but but although it seems like there are um, like there would have been moments. I mean, really, you know, if you describe this book to somebody and you're like, yeah. Yeah, so the other, like, or so the main character gets into flies into uncontrollable rages when he hears the sounds of Kenny G. I mean, like it's it's I I really liked how that was how that turned out to be a real thing and not just like really Kenny G. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, when it when it started and he was like and I heard the sounds of Kenny G and it was evil or something like that, I'm going, "What?" <laughs> But then it turned out that there really was a reason why he associated Kenny G with badness. And it was, I mean, legitimate, you know. But, yeah. of course, you have to wait till the end of the book to figure out what the reason is. Because he doesn't remember himself why, you know, at the beginning of the book. So, it, you know, once I realized that he had these feelings about things, Kenny G is, is an example, you know, that it was evil or bad or whatever but he couldn't remember why he had the feelings and I was kind of like okay we'll wait and see and probably he'll remember at some point why he dislikes it so much and he did um and and yeah you're right I thought that you know it would have been very easy to laugh at him but I found myself I really found myself rooting for him you know I haven't seen the movie have you seen the movie no I haven't I know that like didn't it win some Oscars for something or it was a contender for Oscar it was a contender, but uh, I'm not sure if it won anything. Obviously, this is the podcast for people who are well up on their pop culture, right? <laughs> um, I, I thought that that um, like I haven't seen the movie either, so like obviously we can't talk about that. But I thought like one of the things I thought was really interesting about about the book was the character of Tiffany. And, like, it, I was thinking about it because I read a, a really interesting blog post yesterday um, talking about the phenomenon of um, the manic pixie dream girl, um, mm-hmm. which is, like, I mean, we all know about the manic, like, we even if we don't know what that word means, we've all seen or read things that had manic pixie dream girls in them. Right. They're, like... She's the, the 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 spunky girl with the zest for life that that shows this the soulful brooding care oh, hero yeah. how to live, and and um like you know the the blog post I read was talking about how that's kind of a like nobody is that way in real life and and if you expect to find a manic pixie dream girl to solve all of your problems for you like you're gonna be very disappointed when that person becomes like it turns out to be <laughs> you know just as flawed and screwed up as you are sure. Um, so, but I liked that they didn't, like, I, that's a long way to say that I really liked that they didn't turn Tiffany. I never got the sense she was a manic pixie dream girl. I thought that it was very clear that she had her own issues, and I liked that she was, like, I, I, I felt like she was her, she was a character in her own right, even though we just see her from from Pat's point of view, and I never got the sense that, like, that her only purpose in the story was going to be like to serve the narrative and, you know, like <laughs> she was going to fix everything. And yeah. and so I, I really liked that the way that, that he handled her. Yeah, I do too. Um, and I thought, you know, her pretending to be Nikki, you know, when he started getting the letters from Nikki, I thought, now this can't be, you know, this can't be right. Um, but 
I thought that was very interesting how, you know, they made, they made that, you know, put it into the story and it made him realize that she was not coming back. And I thought it was very cool how he was able to forgive her. Yeah. And forgiveness to me seems to be, you know, a, a theme that, that runs, you know, throughout the book, Forgive- forgiveness and acceptance. And I thought it was, it was great because I mean, if it were me and, uh, somebody had done that to me, I don't know how forgiving I would really have been. <laughs> I, I know I would have been very upset, uh, you know, at, at the very least. Yeah. Um, me too. I, I think that, that that was probably, although I, I have to say that that was like one of the one plot twists that I saw telegraphed yeah. <laughs> from a mile away. Mm-hmm. Like there was a red neon sign that was like, Tiffany is going to turn out to pretend to be Nikki. That, mm-hmm. That's the only way this is going to work out. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, I hate being right about <laughs> about right. that. Maybe I've read yeah. too many books. Um, but I liked... I liked how that that was resolved, and I, mm-hmm. I think it couldn't have happened any other way because I think that the circumstances being what they were, like the last thing he needed was to have anything to do with actual Nikki, who sounded like, like you know, basically a pretty unpleasant person. Yeah, she kind of did. <laughs> but so, you know, then it was a story. I mean, it, there was there are two ways it could go. He didn't. She he shouldn't have had anything to do with her because she was an unpleasant person, and then of course. There's also, you know, well, she may have not have been a great person, but they were somehow good together, you know, and and should have been together. Um, but you know, I'm I'm glad that that it it went the way that it did, and that it didn't. It, it wasn't one of those things where they're trying to, you know, get back together. It was really, it was clearly, you know, all about him uh, moving on, and it, clearly he accepted that, um, you know, at the end of the at the end of the book. So I have to ask, um, mm-hmm. did you have, did you walk around for a couple of days humming Total Eclipse of the Heart? Because I did. Um, yeah, and, and last week when I reviewed the book on the Melting Pot, I played Songbird and Total Eclipse of the Heart because it just had to happen. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and yes, I was, I was, I did not walk around running or uh, humming Songbird, but I did walk around humming Total Eclipse of the Heart for like three days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I wasn't even really sure until I listened until I looked it up on YouTube which which Kenny G song Songbird actually was. Uh huh. Um, and and now I know and and you know, <laughs> but Total Eclipse of the Heart is you know, <laughs> yeah, sort we, of we all know. And and there are I mean there there are actual you know like covers of Total Eclipse of the Heart, but they're horrible. Um, yes, not the regular version is you know. You know that wonderful either although it is actually one of my favorite songs but i think it's more because of the memories that i have associated with it than the actual song so um is there anything else you want to say about the book uh i don't think so i think that's pretty much it um i enjoyed it a lot and i'm glad that we read it uh now i think it's time to move on to the book of for this month and we decided that we would be patriotic again. Yes, exactly. Um, the book for this month is actually the book that I wanted to pick for last year's July 4th. Um, is um, one of my all-time favorite books. And it's called The Killer Angels by Michael Shara, S-H-A-A-R-A. Uh, it is the book that got me interested in historical fiction. 
Um, it is about the Battle of Gettysburg. It's told from the point of view of several key figures in the battle. So it takes you through sort of like the beginning stages and the actual experience of the battle from several of the key historical figures that you would probably know of. And the Battle of Gettysburg, in case none of you know or some of you are not American and sort of like, what are you talking about? Is one is one of the battles that many people consider to be the turning point in the U.S. Civil War in 1863, and it takes took place from July 1st through the 3rd. Uh, so July, you know, was was the month that that um, is is a good month to read something like this. And um, actually, I read this every year. I go back every July and read this book. Uh, because I found it, it had such an effect on me when I read it for the first time and stayed with me um, and has haunted me ever since. And this battle was a three-day affair. It was very traumatic for all involved. And the Confederate Army made uh, an invasion into the North. It was the beginning and end of that invasion. And they, well, you'll read about the stupid move that basically decimates uh, one whole core of the Confederate Army, and it's never the same afterwards. Uh, and it happens. Um, and the book is told from the, it happens towards the end of the book. So the book kind of builds up, and the climax is just how everything is just torn apart the third day of the battle. Um, but the book is told from the point of view of um, several key figures, a couple from the North and a couple from the South. And there is a version available on Audible that has a very strange narrator. I don't like his voice. Uh, but I have the version. Um, he has kind of a nasal voice. The version on Bard is a re-recording. The first recording that's on cassette that was old. I'm not sure who the narrator was, but he was so good. He had this very rich, mellow bass voice. But now they have a new version on the uh, Bard site, done by Michael Kramer, which is decent. Um, and I think it's also in Braille there. And I have all ideas that it's on Bookshare as well. Well, I'm sure it is. And so it's fiction? Yes, it's fiction. Okay. Um, but the author does, he has done a lot of research, and you can really tell. Um, there is a little beginning portion and, that puts it into context for you so that you know where the battle takes place, kind of what led up to it, and who the people are, in case you don't know much about the Civil War. But it's very brief and to the point. I mean, he it, it's clear that he really just wants to get to the story, so... You know, um, you get sort of a brief historical note and then um, the book itself. Uh, and, and I thought, when I read it, I had to read it for school and I had to do a paper on it. And so I was like, oh, God, I have to do a paper on a book. This is going to really be horrible. And, I, and it was one of the best things I ever read. I mean, it was not, it's not dry. It's not boring. Uh, you definitely get into it. And incidentally, there is a movie that was based on this book as well, the movie Gettysburg. Woo! All right. Um, so if you want to see the movie as well, that is the movie to watch. It was inspired by this book and Beck actually stays pretty true to the book um, for the most part that I remember. If What I remember of it, because I did see that, but it was like 15 years ago. It was a long time ago. Um, a friend of mine who's a history buff, actually she was a history major in college, but she ended up selling electric motors for a living. Um <laughs> she uh, she had never read the book, and so I asked her if she wanted to see the movie with me, and, and we ended up watching the movie. And I think, actually, she did end up reading the book after she watched it. Um, but anyway, that's the book. That's enough of my rhapsodizing. I'm sure you'll get more of it next month. <laughs> and um, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. 
and I hope that everyone uh, enjoys it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, and his son has written uh, books as well, uh, both fiction and nonfiction. Jeff Shara, um, he has a book called Gods and Generals, which is a nonfiction book about um, portraits of some of the uh, key figures in the Civil War, uh, uh, Union and Confederate generals, um, which I have not read. But he kind of like goes on you know after his father and and continues on with the with um with the legacy and some of his books are also on bard and he he deals with similar subjects so anyway a bunch of stuff to check out there and um enjoy the killer angels and enjoy uh all of your happy reading for this month Mm-hmm. and before we close out we'll give out our oh, contact yeah. info that's right i almost forgot. um yeah, if you would like to follow me on Twitter, I am at Bardsong. Um, and uh, what else do I do? Your oh, email? I'm also... Or, I mean, your Goodreads. <laughs> my, yes, Goodreads. Thank you. I'm, um, I'm also under, under Goodreads. I'm, I think... I forget what my actual Goodreads username is. That's really sad. But I know it's linked up with my Twitter. <laughs> um, so you can find me that way. And we also have the Book Hoarders Goodreads page. Which we are aware needs to be updated. Which we need to, which we need to update, but you can follow us there. <laughs> um, and, and you can follow me at Aaron Edgar on Twitter and on Goodreads, except for on Goodreads, it's, I think that's my username. Yeah, I think it's the same. That's sad. I don't remember mine either. Sad, sad. <laughs> you know how you, you have this stored and your username and password is like stored in your computer and you just don't need it anymore. Just ching. Well, I think it's because you like you put it in with your email address. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but I believe I'm Aaron Edgar on Goodreads as well as on Twitter. And like Shannon said, uh, book orders is uh, book orders on Goodreads and Twitter. Aaron- and if you would like to contact us, you can go to our website at um, bhapodcast.com. You can um, send a tweet to at Book Hoarders. And uh, our email is bhapodcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. And so we will look forward to that. And happy reading, everyone. Have a good summer. Bye. Bye. To contact the book hoarders, send email to bhapodcast at gmail.com. Follow Book Hoarders on Twitter. Call us at 520-81-BOOKS, 520-812-6657. And visit the website at bhapodcast.com.